we're singing because that's what we're going to sing tonight. Lyricized version of it. <clears throat> Psalm 24. And uh, it'll be verses 1 through 10. The whole song. Psalm 24. The Psalm of David. Let's read it uh, in responses. I'll, I'll read the odd numbers, and you can read the even numbers. I'll be odd tonight. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. I guess I'll read all of it. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift, uh, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Timothy should have given you the song sheets, and uh, they just continue to the back. This <clears throat> verse does. And this is to the tune of To God Be the Glory. Seeking your face, oh. 
just messed that up a little bit, didn't I? All right, number 40 in our hymnals. Number 40. Number 40. Great is thy faithfulness. Number 40. <clears throat> Verses one and three. One and three. Bible study for tonight. Come over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. Or right, you know this section of the Bible in the New Testament as the Beatitudes. And so Jesus has just called at least six disciples and now they're moving along. They're very active, they're very busy. And this will dovetail into the study from Sunday morning at Sunday school time about the life of Christ. But I'm giving you some leanings from personal Bible reading. And so I am beginning backwards. I'm beginning the New Testament. So I'm in chapter 5, 6, and 7. I've actually gone past that, but I'm going to 
even something that I received, I think, from the Lord in early in the week. All right, now I'm digesting the Beatitudes and summarizing um, uh, these three chapters uh, and bring out the major truths for you because I think it's a very practical section in the Bible. There are some doctrinal issues in this section of the scripture, um, and yet I'm going to take it from the devotional and the practical approach. And so the thing that I have found from chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew is that there is a perspective, a perspective that you and I ought to see. Perspective into it, number one, you and God, and you and your fellow man. So the first thing is the perspective is you and God. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. We won't read every single verse because leave it up to you to read it sometime. But in chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, you have some circumstances. You have in these circumstances of life that God is looking at things from a different viewpoint than you and I would look at things. And so we need to look at it from God's viewpoint. In the first 12 verses, I'll just give a sample here. For example, verse number, oh, verse number 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you have at least 12 blessings here. And, well, let me count them right here. I did count them before. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. At least nine blessings in this first 12 verses. And the blessed is another way of saying happy. It seems kind of contradictory to say that you're happy, you're blessed if you are poor in spirit. You're blessed if you mourn. You're blessed if you are hunger and thirst. But uh, that's the human perspective. The, the, the actual God perspective from heaven's viewpoint is that he sees it in a different way. And so the takeaway from the first few verses of chapter 5 is that we need to see things from God's viewpoint rather than just our own viewpoint. The world's viewpoint, the world's view of looking at things is not the same as God's viewpoint. And if you look at only from the God, viewpoint of the world, you might be pretty discouraged because not too many things in this world are very, uh, will make you happy. Uh, in current events, in our life today, in uh, the last few decades, it doesn't seem like anything that you look at will give you any happiness. And if happiness comes from happenings, then there's not much to be happy about, but that's the man's viewpoint. We look, we look at things from a different perspective from God's viewpoint, and from his viewpoint, um, there's happiness in the things that are in our lives and in the lives of others, but uh, it's because we see things from a different viewpoint, a different perspective. So we must calibrate a little bit and see things not through our own eyes, but through the eyes of God. And so, uh, look at verse number uh, three again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't seem logical that the, the poor in spirit are those who are even the meek. The meek in verse number five shall inherit the earth. It doesn't seem reasonable and proper and even doesn't make any sense that the, blessed, the meek will inherit the earth. But one day the meek will inherit the earth. One day they'll control the earth with Jesus Christ, which is kind of crazy. But again, we're looking at things from the viewpoint of God in heaven, not from the viewpoint of man on earth. And so verses 11 and 12 of the first few verses of chapter 5. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all men of the evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. What? What? Rejoice and be exceeding glad that men persecute you. Verse 12. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And so you're looking at very clearly statements about what people see and what God sees. And so when a Christian is persecuted for righteousness sake, it seems like he's the loser. It seems like he's on the wrong track. But God says, no, let's look at things from my viewpoint. And from my viewpoint, they are blessed and we should rejoice because we have a reward in heaven. 
which is not what people think about when they suffer and go through experiences, but very contrary. And so remember, the world's view and God's view are not the same. And so the Beatitudes is going to emphasize that. I think it emphasizes that, the perspective from God's viewpoint. By the way, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll come back to chapter 5 in just a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When you talk about and when we think about seeing things from God's perspective, look at chapter 4, verse number 16 of 2 Corinthians. Here's a really good parallel scripture to dovetail with what Jesus has said here in chapter 5. And so come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 16. 416. Back up to verse number 15. 415. For all things are for your sakes, and that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction. Well, the only reason why those who suffer can say this is a lot of affliction is because they see things in a different perspective. They see things from God's viewpoint, not from their own eyes. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we look not at the things which are seen. Now, he's not saying ignore what you see. He's not saying ignore the, the evident, uh, ignore the reality. He's not saying that. He's just saying through the reality that you're seeing, See beyond that. While well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. Now come back to Matthew chapter 5. So that is almost a summary about uh, looking at things from God's perspective in the Beatitudes. Now also in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse number 13, 13 through 16. When you look at things from God's perspective, you look at yourself as well. You look at yourself, and in verses 13 through 16, Jesus said this to the multitudes that were assembled. They had followed him because of the, of the miracles that he was doing, the real miracles of raising the dead, healing the sick. Uh, people healed of all kinds of infirmities and uh, diseases, and they were following him because people were sick, people were destitute, people needed help, doctors couldn't help them, and so they followed him because people were being treated, People are being healed by the power of Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse number 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Then he says in verse 14, Ye are the light of the world. The Lord says to the disciples or to the crowds, You are two things. You are salt and you are light. Verse 14 continues, A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now what is he saying here? We're talking about perspective. What is perspective in relationship of the Christian, I'll say the Christian, the believer, and to God? What is that relationship all about here? What are you finding about salt and light? And while you think about that, salt, of course, is preservative. Uh, before you had refrigeration, what, in the 8th, 19th century? Uh, how did you refrigerate food, meats, things like that? 
well, in a cave or underground or someplace cool, which would not be very effective. You salt, you salt meat to preserve it a little bit, and the salt also enhances flavor. Uh, have you ever eaten watermelon with salt? Oh man, that's so good. Every orange with salt, it is so good. The condition for the orange and the watermelon to be so good, but the salt is, it has to be refrigerated. And that is so good when it's cold like that on a hot summer day. It is so Christian. It is so spiritual to have salt on those two things, watermelon and uh, orange. But uh, salt is also, it enhances flavor. Now, what is the point here about uh, you being salt? Well, here's the perspective I see. That people, Christians, that Christians are salt and light. Of course, light illuminates, light reveals, light shows things, light guides people in darkness. And so the Christian is like salt. He preserves. You know that through the Holy Spirit living every believer, we are like salt in this world. We prevent, we prevent the Lord bringing down his wrath on the world because we're salt. We, we, we prevent judgment to come in that sense. We hold back. We hold back the corruption. We hold back the, the, the decaying. We hold back the, the stench of something bad. We also uh, enhance flavor. We create a thirst for people to want to know God in a sense. And then light guides, of course, to, to the light of the world. And so the thing that I am seeing about perspective about us and God is that we are of great value to the Lord, which doesn't sound like anything biblical, but but it is because we are of value to God, of great value to Him. This is a Walmart verse. You are of great value. Oh, gosh. Because we're not just nobodies. We're somebodies to have influence. Uh, online, you find a lot of people who are celebrities or important VIP people. Uh, they call themselves influencers, and people dub them as influencers. This person, this influencer said this about this issue, and everybody follows this person uh, in social media. Well, do you know that you and I as Christians are influencers? We are salt and light in this world, so we are worth something. We are worth something, and uh, because we influence people for Jesus Christ, and so we value, we value that relationship to God. The perspective is, I'm nobody, you're nobody. But we're somebody. So take that for what it's worth. Now come to chapter 6. When it comes to our perspective of us and God, we are valuable to Him because He provides for us. Look at chapter 6 of Matthew and verse number 24. Matthew 6, 24. 6, 24 to 34. Read that sometime. But the gist of this portion of Scripture is about the cares of this world, the need that God's people have, and how God can take care of those needs. Come down to a few verses in the short passage. Look at verse number 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? So we're talking about material needs that are normal and everyday routine needs that are basic to life. And then you come down to verse number 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with, wherewithal shall we be clothed? Verse 34, take therefore no thought. You know when the Lord repeats himself, he's making a point. 
It's like verily, verily. This is verily, 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 three times. Take no, therefore no thought for your, the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Now, he's not saying don't think about tomorrow. He's not saying don't plan for tomorrow. He's not saying don't have cares of this world because cares are normal in his life. Any normal man who is responsible cares for the things of this life. He has to. She has to. A mother has to care for her children. A mother has to care for many domestic things. And a man has to care for a lot of things too in his world as the provider of the family. But these verses remind me that the perspective we all see is that God would take care of his children. Like a man would take care of his family, like a shepherd would take care of his flock, God will take care for the provisions for his children. The reason, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat and what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? One reason that he says don't worry about things is because life is made up of something a little bit deeper than things material things the good old american way of, of looking at life is the more things you have the happier you are and the lord is simply saying here uh, don't worry about the things of this life number one because life does not is not composed of the accumulation of stuff in your life that is not what makes a man successful he also gives another reason why uh, you have the right perspective in life. Look at verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. All right, so now he says, here, here's why you should have the perspective. Everything's all right because God's going to take care of me. Number one, things do not make up the totality of life. Other things do. Number two, look at nature, how God cares for the birds in nature. And then, as much as God takes care of nature, he says, are you not much better than they? The answer is yes. And as he talks to the crowds about these things, about perspective, he, he asks a question which is an obvious answer. Yes, I am more important to, to God than birds, than sparrows or minor birds, those nasty minor birds, and little innocent sparrows and little cute finches. He says, you are more important than these birds that I mean, I take care of them. Don't you think I'm going to take care of you too? Because you're of more value to me than, than these birds are to me, and I take care of them. Look at verse 31. The logic is this, verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? He says, now, because I've tried to explain to and reason with you about why you should have this perspective, I'll take care of you. I gave you two reasons why. He said, now look, the logical conclusion is this. Don't worry. Trust me to take care of you because I take care of the nature that I made. I'm going to take you even better. And that's perspective about provisions. Now look at chapter 7. Chapter 7. All this is under the umbrella I have dubbed it as perspective, you and God. Your relationship to the Lord and how he will take care of his own. Chapter 7. And verse number 7. Now, these three chapters deserve a verse-by-verse -verse exposition, not the time for it today or the next two Wednesdays, but it's a good study. Chapter 7, verse 7. When it comes to perspective and how God cares for his children, look at this issue about how God will provide for us. Chapter 7, verse number 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. 
Can you see the link between chapter six about provisions? Ask, ask, and he will give you. Seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, verse eight, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So ask and he will give. Look at verse nine. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? That'd be pretty cruel. Hungry boy, hungry son, you give him a rock, give him gravel, put your butt on the gravel. Well, that's not very good. What kind of father are you to give your, your son sand and just to put your, put your maple syrup on sand? That's not very good. God would not do that. Neither would a good father do that to his hungry kids. Verse 10, or if he ask a fish, would he give a serpent? Verse 11, the only, the only creature I know that eats a serpent would be like a Komodo dragon. Those guys eat anything. They're like the goats, the reptile goats, man. They, they eat anything. Verse 10, or if he ask a fish, would he give him a serpent? Verse 11, if he then being evil, you, you human fathers, know how to give good gifts unto your children because you love them, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? So under the, the, the context of God will take care of you because of your relationship with him, the perspective is, I don't have to worry about things, so he take care of me. You have your more explanation in chapter 7, because God is good, verse number 11. God is good, so he gives good things to his children. Now, sometimes you understand that a father will be good to his children and do good things for them, but they don't appreciate because they don't understand what he's doing. Most kids, when they're young and small and kind of selfish, they ask something of their parents, and the parents don't give it to them, then they think their parents are mean. Well, how come John's kids, uh, John's parents give them everything they want? Well, I'm not John's daddy, okay? Okay, son, I'm not John's daddy, so I'm not gonna give you everything you ask for just because another father gives everything that their kids ask him. That's their business, not my business. And so, father does know best, and when the kid don't get what he want at the time, uh, he gets a little bit upset, perhaps. And as he understands, as, as time goes by, he'll see why, he'll be appreciative, and so, then he'll know that because his father's good, he's a good man, he's a good dad, he's a good father, then he'll give me what is good for me. And so the, 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 the idea here is provision come when we ask for them and God gives it to us as he sees fit because he's a good God. He gives us what's good for us. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good because our God in heaven is a good father. Now, what's the opposite of God who is good? I should say, who is the opposite of God who is good? Well, the answer is obvious. The devil gives, gives people, <laughs> you're a children of the devil, gives his children whatever they ask for, and it seems so great at the beginning, but in the end it turns bitter. And so the Lord just is opposite about that. Perspective. Look at chapter, uh, oh, chapter 6. Go back to chapter 6. When it comes to provisions, and God giving us what we need in chapter 6 we talk now or he talks about in the first four verses of chapter 6 about uh, giving take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them almsgiving is pretty much giving to help the poor helping them in some way and uh, in the Old Testament People who had land and they had a harvest, they would shave off the corners of their field and leave the corners for the poor to come in and get for themselves. Now, in verse number one, take heed that you do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. 
otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. When thou doest alms, let thy left hand know, uh, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall himself reward thee openly. Now the first section, the first four verses is about doing things without fanfare, doing things privately, personally, between you and God, because God sees, God knows, and that makes us content to do things, something important like giving to others without any uh, calling of the, the media and saying, hey, look what I'm doing. Don't have a press conference, in other words, just because you're going to do something good for somebody else. Now that thought goes on to chapter 6 and verse number 5. When it comes to praying, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Now that phrase is pretty important to the whole passage here. And this whole, this whole part, this whole thing about God sees in secret, God knows what we do and what we say, is based upon the idea that some people, like the Pharisees, they do things to be seen of men. Their whole motive is to be noticed by the public. They want to be known as do-gooders and spiritual people. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Verse 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions. I'll stop there. Now, when it comes to provisions, when it comes to asking, when it comes to uh, being good and kind and generous and helping people with different kind of needs, he says, and when you pray, he says, okay, giving alms and praying is a good thing, isn't it? He says, when you pray, when you pray, and when you give alms. So when you help out, he says, don't make a big issue about it where you get all the attention on yourself. Don't, in other words, don't do things just to get the attention. Now, he's not saying if someone recognizes you for being a good person, a kind, generous person, and someone says, oh, this person donated this, and we're so thankful this person donated that, let's give them a big hand. Now, that is not saying that's wrong. What he is saying is it's wrong when people do it for that intention. I knew this just to get the attention, so I am recognized and I'm pat on the back and I'm known as a real benevolent whatever. And when you pray, he says, don't pray on the street corners. Now, he's not saying don't pray in public. Some people are so spiritual, they won't pray in public because they think they're drawing attention to themselves. Truthfully, anytime you do something that's seen, you get some attention. The issue is the motive. And the Lord is saying, watch your motive. Watch what you are doing more specific. Watch the intention as to why you do what you do. Giving alms or praying. Be careful that you don't do it just for the attention. Uh, in, in Hollywood productions or any kind of production on stage, you have people that are the characters of this program or of this play or something, of this movie, I just say movie. Now, they are portraying something and the characters that are trying to portray something they're trying to get all the lines down and get the, the emotion in the lines and so on and some people are very good at doing these kind of things and some people are not very good at doing some of these things and then you have in these productions the star the star the main character and then you have 
a supporting cast. The supporting cast is not the star, but they are really a big part of this production and they help the star look better. And some people who are stars in production, they are so big in their own heads that they cannot perform or continue with a contract because they're so important to themselves that they will break a contract, they refuse to, to show up on the set to, to rehearse and practice and shoot and film because uh, it's not according to what I like it to be. I want to say it this way instead of the other way. Now the script says this, but I'm going to do it this way. And so they get into a big argument with everybody, the whole production crew, the screenwriter and the director, everybody, producer, because they insist on having the way they think they're the star. You know what the Lord says? The Lord says, when you pray, don't seek the spotlight. When you pray, don't seek all the attention. Pray with the right spirit, a right heart, and pray. So praying in public is okay. Being known to be generous is okay because you didn't seek the attention. But if attention comes your way, it's probably good to deflect that and say, well, because of God, I'm able to do this. And that'll encourage somebody else too. So we have to be careful not to be extreme about things. All right, so uh, the perspective, God sees and hears. And so did as unto the Lord. And this is all under our relationship to God in perspective. Now, the second thing I want to give you is in chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. The second thing is you and others. The first part is God and you or you and God. Now it's you and others. Your relationship, which is a key word here, your relationship to God and now your relationship to others. And the Lord in this Beatitudes, he almost enhances and, and, and ramps up um, an issue to make it even more 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 and more spiritual than just a physical a physical activity a physical act he, he gets into the heart of the thing the why someone does what they do chapter 5 verse 21 you have heard that it was said of them by old time that thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be nature of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And stop there. So you have the first issue with other people. Uh, murder, thou shalt not kill in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 20 is defined by chapter 21 of Exodus as premeditated killing of someone. Presumptuously with guile. So when he says... Uh, Thou shalt not kill. We are talking about killing someone deliberately, not manslaughter. And then it says, but I say unto you. So the but I say unto you is to emphasize there's a cause for a person physically killing someone else, physically. And he says, you cut that off in the heart. You stop the thinking process. You, 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 you stop it from coming to fruition. And so since God sees the heart, uh, kill the evil thoughts in the heart and in the mind that will cause you to carry out what you're thinking. So he goes a little deeper than just stop the activity, stop the physical killing, stop it in your heart thinking it. Now, it's not the same thing as the actual killing of someone, thinking about killing someone. He does say it's like you're done in your heart. Now come to the next thing and I'll try to explain a little bit more. Uh, chapter five, verse number 27. On these two issues, it's about how to treat your fellow men, your relationship to them, and have the right perspective. Chapter 5, verse 21. 
Uh, that's the Dachshund Akil. Uh, verse 27. 527. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, But I say unto you, That whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, Hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, and then talk about if your eye offended, pluck it out, and so on. Now, murder is the fruit of thinking about it without any stopping it. Adultery is the fruit of thinking about it without any stopping of the thought. And so he says, look, don't do that. You've heard don't kill, don't murder. You've heard don't commit adultery. He says, better yet, don't even think about it. Better yet, don't give yourself a reason to justify your horrible actions. If you cut it off in the brain, in the heart, in the thinking, if you cut the bitterness, you cut off the, the resentment, you cut off the justification, why I need to kill this guy, and when I, why, if you cut that out in the heart, then you probably won't do that in the physical act. So he makes it harder, he makes it more serious because it's a matter of the heart now. Now, uh, as I say, if you physically kill someone, if you physically commit adultery, okay, not okay, but if you thought about it on those two points, but you didn't do it, it's a little different, isn't it? They're not the same thing. Because if you thought about killing, but you didn't, you thought about, but you didn't, you didn't. Didn't commit a crime. So you, you knock it off, you cut it off in the heart, in the head, in the, get rid of it then, see? And so the perspective is God knows everything. God knows everything. Therefore, you better make sure that these things are dealt with in the heart. And that's why 1 John 1, 9 talks about if we confess our sins, sinful thoughts, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so on. All right, so don't think about it. It's a little heavier. It's a little bit more uh, demanding than just, okay, I'm not going to commit that crime or that capital offense or I won't commit that moral sin. Look at chapter 5. Continuing on his perspective on Relationship to other people, chapter 5, verse 37. 537. Let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, yes or no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, let me stop there. Uh, no, I'll keep reading. Verse number 37. Uh, 30, uh, 37. I'll stop right there. Okay, communications, all right? Uh, swearing. Now, uh, commitments, vows, contracts. The principle I see is if you make a commitment, simply keep it. You make a promise, simply keep it. You make a vow, be sure you think about it, you pray about it before you make a vow because if you make a vow, you have to keep your vow. The exception. Are there any exceptions to these vows that you're supposed to keep? Are there any exceptions to contracts and commitments that you can break? Have you ever made a made a commitment that was dumb? You made a promise that was, oh, man, why did I make that promise for? Oh, but the Bible says keep your vow. Well, are there exceptions to break the vow? Well, if you made a foolish vow under duress or you were high or you were pressured to do that, someone's breaking, bending your arm, if you made a promise like that, and, uh, and you wake up to reality, you say, oh man, did I? No, I'm not going to do that. You have to just stop it. Uh, Herod had John Baptist killed because he made, a, he made a rash promise. 
to Herodias's uh, wife, a uh, daughter, and that we call it the dance of death in the book of Matthew. And he could not stop his promise. He couldn't say, oh, I'm sorry. I made a rash promise. I was too excited. I could not stop myself. I was so emotionally wrapped up in, 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 in I just, I give up to have my, have my kingdom. Now, when his wife told the daughter who did that dance, I want the head of John the Baptist, he could have said, what? Now he's afraid of John the Baptist. He could have backed off from that promise. I'll give you up to half my kingdom, but he was not able to break his vow because he just had too much ego, too much pride. It was not right for him in his mind to, to uh, back off what he said. But when you make a, a promise or a vow that is rash or uh, hastily done, not thought through, you didn't pray about it, and you know it's wrong now, yesterday you made it, but today you know it's wrong, then I would simply say, you know what, say sorry, I made a mistake. Sorry, I made a mistake. And so generally though, if you make a vow promise, keep it. Chapter five, verse 43. This is all relationship to other people. In chapter five, verse 43 through 48, this one's a little bit difficult for some people. Verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Well, that'd be pretty reasonable. The Proverbs says, I love them that love me. <laughs> It's a funny verse in Proverbs chapter 8. I love them that love me. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, What does Jesus also make me, make us, make the Christian feel like, Oh man, I got to do that? But I say unto you, But I say unto you, Love your enemies. This must be a wrong translation, is what I can say. But I seem to love your enemies. I know it's really wrong because it says, bless them that curse you. That cannot be in the Bible. Do good to them. Oh man, this is, this is the wrong, this is, what is this, the Catholic Bible or something? Do good to them that hate you. Oh no. And pray for them which despitefully use you. That's it. That's it. That's beyond, that's beyond any reasonable man's ability to do these things to our enemies now you're looking at things from God's perspective and it's really tough because it's going against the nature of a man who has an enemy or things like that now let me just clarify and tell you tell you this that uh, we're gracious to others be gracious to others here because of verse number 45 because of verse 45 that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Well, that's a pretty that's a pretty tough verse. He gives a reason as to why, from God's perspective, you be gracious to everybody. To your neighbor, verse 43, and also your enemy. Ay, ay, ay. So, perspective is not always kind to us because I don't always feel I want to be kind to my enemy. Now, who is my enemy? <laughs> it could be many kind of people, right? Your enemy. Well, nowadays, we live in a world in which if you have a political enemy, you trash them, you harass them, you intimidate them, you try to bully them into silence. If you have a contrary opinion, you do the same thing. So those who balk about 
both those who cried the loudest about freedom of speech, they're the ones who are the worst at offending that precept by shutting down those who disagree with them, who are yelling about, we have the right to do this and protest and all that kind of silliness and wickedness. Um, but we all have enemies. It's also me that way. Um, I just I just see that the perspective is be gracious to everybody. That's a hard one to do. And did you know that the Lord's way of the Christian living is not always the easiest thing for the Christian to do? It's it's it goes against our flesh is what it does. It goes against our flesh to be gracious to everybody. I'll give you a contemporary illustration. Just yesterday, I took my wife to Kailua. She was get a pedicure and a manicure. God doesn't have to do that, right? If a guy has to go get a pedicure, manicure, you're going to be wondering about that person. But a woman, they like to get that every once in a while. I think she had one for over two years. Anyway, she wanted to get one, and it went down there, and then traffic was on Pali, I got to Kailua, so we were we left on time. Give us a half an hour to get down there. Traffic said nine-minute delay, nine minute delay. Not nine-hour, nine-minute delay. So we call. She's, I said, you better call. She calls. Lady answers the phone. She's, my wife says, uh, we're stuck in traffic. We're coming on the pile. We're on our way, but we're going to be late. The lady says, oh, you cannot be late. You cannot be late. My wife says, well, I can't help it. We're on our way. The, the app says, the phone says we're going to be at least nine minutes late. Well, you can't be more than 50 minutes late. We don't take big appointments. She says, okay, we'll get as soon as we can. I thought, and I was listening to her. I thought, I said, you know what? Let me go talk to her. I say, what, is, what, is, what kind of customer service is this? This like we wanna come late? It's like we wanna be in traffic? It's like we wanna be, no! But, and then she goes in there, I'm waiting in the car, and then, uh, anyway. I say, well, how was she to you? How did she treat you, if it was the same person? I think it was. And then she was kind of like, she was roughing, you know, did the nails, like all that kind of stuff. I said, why don't you tell me to come inside? Not that I would like to go inside, I said, you know, there's Vietnamese people, they're so gruff. Is that is that too rude to say what they are? I got nothing against them, but she was rude if she was something else. She would never be rude if she was Chinese, I know that. If she was Chinese, she was going to be nice, always nice. But she was Vietnamese, so she wasn't nice. Now, you folks don't laugh. You don't have a sense of humor. It's what you don't have. And so uh, how, can, how can you... Um, your enemy, no, she's not a real enemy, but when it comes to these matters where you have resentment for somebody and you treat them as an enemy because they're harming, whatever the situation, he does say be gracious to everybody because God gives rain and sunshine to everybody, even those who hate him. That is the perspective. That is the perspective that God gives to his hearers. Pretty tough to do. The thing that I want to add to what the Lord said is from the Apostle Paul, who is, of course, writing on inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 12, 19, he says this. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. <laughs> it's like you put a name here. Avenge not yourselves. Those who treat you bad, those who are rude to you, those who are snotty, those who are just on a high horse. But rather, that's another word I don't like in the Bible. But rather, instead of avenging yourselves, Rather, give place unto wrath. Put it aside. For it is written, vengeance is mine. Mm, that's another verse that's tough. Another word that's tough. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. We want to say, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith Cam. I will repay. Okay, that's more fun to repay. 
Now, the only time these verses are applicable and you can do this is in sports. In sports, you can take revenge and it's justified. You got beat last year in the championship game by this dirty player or this team because they're better than you. You're going to say, okay, we're going to work hard this year and we're going to beat them next time. And the thing drives you, motivates all year round and you get to play them again and you crush them. That's good revenge. Okay? Because it's pretty innocent. It's pretty benign. Nothing bad about that at all. It's just a sport. It's manly stuff. what it is. So... Is there a line to cross over here about revenge? I, I want to say something about that. Uh, are these statements uh, cut and dried in concrete for every situation? I don't think so. This is a general statement about how you treat your neighbor and how you treat your enemy. But when it comes to certain circumstances in life, you you if you practice what this, the Baptists say, here's what will happen. If you practice what it says here to the, to the T, here's what's going to happen. Now, I could be wrong about this, but I think there is a line that is drawn, but you can cross it under certain circumstances. For example, if someone breaks into your house or tries to, and you defend yourself, you shoot somebody in self-defense, that's not wrong. That's not bad. That's not taking vengeance on anybody. That's just defending yourself. But some, some sweet Christian is going to say, no, I can't do that because uh, I'm going to let God be the judge of that and avenge everything. I'm supposed to love everybody. Well, you don't hate the guy because you tried to kill your family or rob you while you're sleeping. You don't like it, so you stop it. It's just like that. Uh, when it comes to war, you have to win a war by destroying and killing. That's how you win a war. And so that's not anything personal. It's not violation of the scriptures. As a matter of fact, you remember, David said, the Lord or God taught my hands to war. Hmm. When it comes to politics, uh, I have to say this uh, to help us to remember, when it comes to politics, it's very difficult to practice the Beatitudes when it comes to politics because the nature of the animal called politics is that if you are sweet and innocent, you're like a lamb among wolves. You're like a, a little lamb uh, on the Serengeti or you're in uh, some place where you have carnivorous animals and they're gonna eat you up because you're innocent, you can't protect yourself. Uh, I learned so many lessons by watching wildlife uh, videos and how the nature of the beast will dictate his behavior. And you can be you can be nice, you can be sweet, you can be kind, you can think that you can communicate, you can you can mentally transfer your thoughts into the brain of this 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 tiger or this leopard. You might think that, but you're so wrong. And that hungry beast is gonna get after anything he can eat. That's the nature of the beast. And so you have to defend yourself, you have to sometimes uh, put down, and so it comes down to people sometimes too, but that is not a violation of scripture. All right, so there is some considerations of mitigating circumstances you have to consider too. So the line sometimes um, crossing it is not simple. My opinion, chapter seven, chapter seven verses one through six. Now we're coming down to another section and probably the last time for tonight about our relationship to others. The first part was 
the perspective of me and God. The second part is my perspective on me and other people. Man to God, man to man. Chapter 7. Another aspect, another part for tonight about relationship to people. Chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in the brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull up the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in your, thine own eye? Thou hypocrite. Now, why is this man a hypocrite? Well, it's got to do something with judging, verse number one. So the problem with this judging matter of chapter 7, verse number 1, is that this guy who's got all this stuff in his eye, two-by-fours and plywoods and everything else in his eye, he's saying to this other guy, hey, look at you, you got the stuff in your eye. What's wrong with you? Now, while he's judging that person, judging him to be wrong, he's got the same problem himself. The judgment, the not judging, which is what everyone uses to um, continue in their sin, really, you have people who do all kinds of bad, wicked things. And when you say, hey, that's wrong. They say, hey, don't judge me. The Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. They always use this verse against the Christian who says, hey, that's wrong. Hey, you shouldn't do that. Hey, that's wrong. You don't do that. That's wrong. Uh, don't judge me. They always say that. The issue here is, um, if you got a problem, don't judge somebody else for their problem when you got the same problem. Now, are we to judge or not judge? If we took verse number one by itself, then we would not judge anything. But in the very same book of Matthew, there is judging going on. There's judging going on because he talks about judging the fruit, judging the fruit of a false prophet. Well, how do you judge the fruit of the false prophet? Look at verse number 15, 715. After he said, judge not lest you be judged, he says in verse number 15, beware of false prophets. Well, how will you beware of false prophets if you don't judge them? <laughs> if you don't evaluate their teaching, how can you judge them? You cannot be passive and say, okay, yeah, you guys, you say you're Christian, okay, I accept that. You say you believe them, I accept that. Come into our church and teach us. That's pretty foolish. You need to scrutinize, you need to vet, you need to judge. Make sure that they are biblical. Beware of false prophets by judging them, which come in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. You should know them by their fruit. Wait a minute now. That means I have to know about different kinds of fruit, don't I? You should know them by their fruit. <laughs> this is so hilarious because um, he talks about good fruit brings good, good trees bring good fruit, bad, you know, vice versa. You can't bring bad fruit from a good tree and, and so on. So he's saying you have to judge the fruit that you see. And so he's not talking about when he says judge not, not judging at all. Because in John 7, 24, he says this, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Judge righteously. 1 Corinthians 2, 15 tells us this, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Well, that's a pretty good verse to help us understand the balance of chapter 7, verse number 1. So perspective, perspective. You and God, perspective. You and other people have good sense about that. And so, um, 724, we'll stop here. 724. The conclusion of the Beatitudes. 
Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And you know the passage here about the wise man, the foolish man, the rains came, the winds, and one was a disaster, the one stood against it. It's because of verse 24. The wise man will hear his words and do them. And he's a wise man. So the Beatitudes ends in chapter 7 by what he said about believing my words and doing what I say. What good is it for us to hear, to, to know what God says, and we say, oh, that is so good. Oh, that is so true. Oh, I wish someone else would believe that. I wish someone else would do that. Oh, that is so good. That is so true. What good is it if we don't practice it? Uh, like, not good at all. It's like it's a waste of time if people don't practice what the Bible says. So he says, do what I say. You'd be a wise man if you do. And isn't it true that those who practice the Bible live it as consistently as they can, kind of a good testimony, a good influence on people and so on? Don't you know that they're so glad that they have, they have had some, what I'm looking for is uh, not guidance, a little more than that. They have, they have a barometer to go by to, to regulate their behavior because they're sincerely trying to not just hear, but do what he says. That's where the, the blessings come. That's where the joy comes. That's where the confidence, the peace, that's where the, everything comes from. When we know what God says and we do what he says. And with all of that, there's consideration for these verses in the Beatitudes. So uh, you have to have discernment about taking everything here literally and understanding there is some there's context to all of these things and consideration to them and so those are some of the gleanings from uh, these chapters and these verses next Wednesday some other part of Matthew to pass on to you so my intent is to make it practical to make it devotional to make it a little bit uh, okay I see that now it makes some sense all right so perspective perspective all right let's pray thank you Lord for the Bible and thank you for how this spiritual book is so up to date, up to speed to any situation in life. We thank you for it. We pray that you help us to just not only know what it says, but try to practice what it says. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.